Welcome again uh, to Renovation. What a beautiful day, huh? How many of you are enjoying the summer this year? I'm uh, constantly reminded how much I like when it's nice out. (laughs) How about you? We are on our last parable. Not the last parable in the Bible. I don't think we've talked about all of them, but this is our last parable in this season, or I'm sorry, in this series about parables. And, uh, you know, this is a, it's a quick parable, it's, it's a rich parable, and I think it's an incredibly relevant parable for us today, given our culture and given everything that um, has been happening in our world. So I'm excited, I was excited to, to think through this parable over the last couple of weeks, and uh, i got to be honest with you. In my approach to reading through this parable in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, that's where we're going to be, the persistent widow, I, I came into this parable thinking this is going to be just a fun one to do, a great rich thing to read about and to, and to hear um, what God would say through it, and that was all true. The other thing I came away from over the last couple of weeks is personally, I'm just confessing to you, a pretty good butt kicking. <laughs> there's, there's something to this parable that really gets at where some of us may be at. And so let's pray. Will you pray with me this morning and ask God to open our hearts that he would, through his word, do what he does, where he illuminates his word. He speaks to our hearts through his spirit, illuminating, lighting up his word to us, because this is God's word to us. Amen. And this word from, from, from the scriptures should adjust us in our thinking. Amen? And so let's ask that, that God would do that this morning. God, we thank you for your word. That you've revealed to us in your word how we're to relate to you. How we're to think about things. How we're to behave and how we're to act. And, and you've revealed to us who you are and who we are in relationship to you. Adjust me this morning, I pray. Adjust us. Change me. Change my heart. Help me to to be changed and adjusted, to be bent towards your word and how you've designed me to, to relate to you, God. That's my prayer this morning for each of us. We are grateful to you that you love us, that you do speak to us, That you aren't afar off, but you're interested, you're involved. You are a loving father who's adopted us and who's chosen us and who has brought us into your family. And this morning, help us to be blown away by that. Help us to uh, respond with gratefulness and with a life of worship because of what you have done. That's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So this is the parable in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. This is the parable that's been commonly referred to as the persistent widow or the unrighteous judge. And so let's read it together and then just see what, what God would say to us through it. And behold, I'm sorry, and he told, my eyes are going, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. 
He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? It's the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. That last verse gives us a key to the context by which Jesus is telling this story. And I think we have to look at that. Now, the first verse really uh, interprets the parable for us, right? I mean, look at the first verse in 18.1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always, I'm sorry, to pray to always to pray and to not lose heart. But then look at verse 8, because verse 8 really um, finishes up a conversation that Jesus has been having at the end of chapter 17 through this passage. And I think it's important that we take a look at the context. When Jesus comes again, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he not, I'm sorry, will he find faith on the earth? This, this passage is clearly referring to the second coming. And we know that because it, this, this parable comes on the heels of chapter 17. And if you look at chapter 17 of the book of Luke, verses uh, 20 through 37, you see the context of the conversation that Jesus is in. He's talking about coming again. He, he, he says that, you know, they ask him about the kingdom of God coming And Jesus looks to them in verses 20 and 21, and he says, look, the the kingdom of God is already in your midst. You've missed it, right? And so Jesus is referring to himself and saying, I'm already here. And of course, as they ask him this question, is the kingdom of God coming? They're talking about, when is God, when is the Messiah going to come and thwart Rome and take over our oppressor? and, And give us justice. That's what they're talking about. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is already in your midst. And he reveals to them something about the first coming that's different from the second coming that he's about to describe for them. He reveals to them that, that as we see the first coming, it came almost in secret, right? We see that Jesus was born to a virgin in a manger, and it was quiet, and he came, and, it's, and, and Jesus is in their midst. The Messiah is here. And, and what he, he says to them and what he begins to explain to them is when Jesus comes again, it's not going to be the same as, as, as the first time. In the second coming, it, it's going to be different than the first coming. Take a look at it. Look at chapter 17, if you could, and go back in your Bible or your app. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God's not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God's already in the midst of you. He explains to them, he's already here. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see 
one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here, do not go out or follow them. For, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in this day. He's saying when the Son of Man comes back the second time, it's going to be catastrophic. It's going to be as if the lightning flashes from one side of the sky to the other side of the sky. It's not going to be like Jesus coming in the virgin birth in a manger hidden away in secret. When he comes again, it will be depicted in such a way that everybody's going to know. He goes on to talk about the fact that first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation as he refers to the cross And then in verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. He's referring to catastrophe in this second coming. Likewise, just as it was in the day of Lot, they were eating, drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who's on his housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, There'll be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There'll be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. They said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And then he told them the parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge. This puts verses... 1 through 8 in chapter 18, a little bit of a different context, doesn't it? I mean, I remember coming to this passage thinking, all right, we have someone who's persistently praying, persistently pursuing God, and in the judge, even an unjust judge, gives her justice because she's really, in essence, annoying him, and how much more would God give justice to his elect? And we're going to talk about that. But as we look at this parable, as we look at this passage in the context of all of what Jesus is saying to his disciples, it challenges me. Can I say that? Here's what he says. When he comes again, people are going to be going about their daily life, just doing their day-to-day stuff, just uh, exchanging business, working in the field, hanging out, doing things that daily life you know, would bring about uh, that we do every single day. And when Jesus comes, it's, it's almost like Noah. When, when he gets in the ark and people are just going about their day, day-to-day stuff in the marketplace, in their jobs, in the field, in their families, and in the mall, wherever you happen to be, and all of a sudden the flood came. He refers the second coming to, to like Sodom and Gomorrah, where he says, don't be like Lot's wife when everybody's just going about their everyday life. And if you notice, as he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, he doesn't even speak about the gross sin going on in the city. What he speaks about is the everyday life of it. And then fire was rained down. And what did Lot's wife do? She turned and she looked back to the world as if to rely on the things that that brought her comfort and security. She turned back 
to look towards the world, towards the things that brought her satisfaction. And Jesus says, don't be like that. It's a challenge to us. In the midst of what's going on in our world today, he paints this picture. And I want you to look at the the picture that Jesus paints with words. They ask him these questions. And he tells them a parable. Look at verse 1. Why does he tell them this parable? He tells them this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Here's the word of the Lord to us today. First of all, don't lose heart. How many of you have felt in your lives a time, or maybe this is that time, where you may be losing heart? Anybody ever been there before? Come on. So here's Jesus' word to us today. Don't lose heart. Take heart. i got to be honest, as Mike brought this up at the beginning of the service, I was watching the, the news this week, and it was almost too much. How many of you guys have been there? I mean, we live in the day and age of this. So we see it, right? I I flip on Fox News, and there is literally cell phone video of dead bodies everywhere. And I, I became overwhelmed. Oh, my goodness. Here it is again. Orlando. I mean, as, as we've had this series of just catastrophic events, now Nice, they're celebrating Bastille Day on the, on the south of France, this place that is known around the world to be paradise. And, and here's the video of people screaming and running and crying and losing their knees. And, and you see the, 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 the ravage of, of dead bodies everywhere. And I, and I became overwhelmed. I, I'm watching the news and I just thought, I got to change it. I got to go to something mindless, right? Where, where's Family Feud, right? How many of you guys have been there? I just... I need to see Steve Harvey making fun of people um, because this is, it's too much. And then, uh, you know, a coup attempt in Turkey. It's just like event after event after event after event. And, and uh, even in Syracuse, in my vocation, we have been in the city of Syracuse, a powder keg with a Father's Day barbecue out of control and a man dead and shooting and hundreds of people rioting, police officer being beaten. And it can become overwhelming. And here's the word of the Lord to us today. Don't lose heart. Take heart. Don't lose heart. Keep praying. How? That's the question, right? He paints a picture. There's a widow that comes to an unjust judge. Think about the picture that Jesus is painting with his words for a moment. He picks on purpose someone who is the lowliest, right? He picks on purpose a a woman who has no husband to support her in the culture of the day. That would be a desperate situation. A woman who has no capability to bring about justice for herself. A woman with no support, no one holding her up, no one there to protect her, no one there to bring her justice. And and she's pleading, and, and she clearly has adversaries 
adversaries who are beating her down. And she's continually being attacked and beaten by adversaries. And there is nothing she can do about it. There is no recourse that she has. And so this widow who's uh, without support, who's broken, and who's in need because of the adversaries that are beating her down and taking advantage of her, her only option, her only recourse is to go to this particular judge. I think today in our culture and in our world, it may be easier, it's becoming easier for us to feel like that. As we reference the events of the day, it's becoming easier for us to lose heart. But I think there's also a challenge here for us today. I think there's also something that, that if, if you're not feeling this way, for us to reflect on. There's a reality in our lives that we don't always see. And here's the reality. And please hear this from the word of God today. If you don't feel like it today, you are in your spiritual situation like the widow. Do you hear me this morning? The warning in the context of this passage isn't that we would take care to not lose heart and to continually pray because of persecution or because of difficulty. But it's also a warning to take care, to not lose heart, to continue to pray because of the distraction of ordinary life. Do you hear me this morning? What are you relying on today? I got to tell you, the biggest danger for me is ordinary life. Every day I get up, some of us chasing a paycheck, some of us chasing our kids, right? Some of us have reached a place in life where we've gained the opportunity to maybe spend our days chasing a white ball. Amen. Chasing the American dream, chasing comfort, chasing a vacation, chasing success, chasing advancement, chasing uh, some time with your spouse, chasing uh, whatever it is that ordinary life in America and suburbia would bring you today. And as we've seen through this string of parables, God is speaking right to our hearts and he's saying, Wake up, because none of that stuff matters. Wake up, because the pursuit of our lives should not be these things. The pursuit and the longing of our hearts should be him. Amen? And I got to tell you, that last verse, you can't get away from it. I can't change it. It's what the word of God says. When the Son of Man comes again, and it's not going to be like he came the first time, as it flashes from one side of the sky to the other, as quickly as the flood rose up in the days of Noah, or the fire fell down in Sodom and Gomorrah, when Jesus comes again, will he find faith in the earth? The answer is yes, but those folks that are filled with faith have been stoking that faith throughout their time here with the fire and the coal of prayer and a pursuit of Jesus, amen? I'm sorry I'm screaming this morning, but this passage has kicked my butt over the last couple of weeks because I have had to say to myself, what am I doing every day? Am I pursuing him? 
Am I continually praying? Do I have a lifestyle of prayer where, where I pray without ceasing? The answer is no. And I need to repent. The answer is, our perspective is so easily hijacked by the day-to-day ordinary life in America, isn't it? Our perspective is so easily hijacked by the things of this world. The less-than substitute of momentary desires and needs that are so easily fulfilled. Because frankly, folks, we are, no matter who you are, in America, the top 1% of the wealthiest people on the planet. I start thinking through that whole eye of a needle and camel thing. And I begin to realize that as miraculous as it would be, as Jesus said, a wealthy man entering the kingdom of God is like a camel going through the eye of the needle. I praise Jesus for the, for the following passage of Zacchaeus where the miracle happens and he comes to Jesus. Amen? Because we need that miracle in our lives. We need to be woken up to the reality that we spiritually are as desperate and as broken and as without support as a widow coming to an unjust judge. And if you and me haven't gotten to a place where we recognize the depths of our own sin, we can never get to the place where we recognize the amazing grace that Jesus has had on our lives. Amen? Desperately need him. I need him as much today as I needed him the first time I realized that Jesus had saved me. So look at this picture. We got a desperate widow and we have an unjust judge. A judge that, you know, could, could care less about God. A judge that ha- is no respecter of any man. Which just means this, that this is a particular judge who doesn't care if you're a great person or if you're a lowly person, if you're a wealthy person or you're a poor person. This judge does not know this widow. This judge does not care about this widow. He could, he could care less about her adversaries that are beating her down. He does not care. What he cares about is that she's driving him crazy and she's persisting in her prayer because she has nowhere else to go. So she goes to the judge, and 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 she's crying out for justice, and she's crying out for justice. And some of you would think that, why would Jesus compare God to this unjust judge? Really, it's not an offensive thing, because this is what Jesus is getting at. What Jesus is depicting, and there's nothing much more to it other than this. What Jesus is depicting is a judge who's completely unrighteous, and and he takes care to say it again in the the middle of the passage. Remember, he's no respecter of man, and he doesn't fear God. And, 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 And what Jesus is saying is simply this. If someone like this would bring justice to this widow out of his selfish desire to be left alone, how much more would our God answer the prayers of his elect? Amen? He's painting a picture of a how much more because he wants you to know this. Take heart as you pursue him, as you pray, as you reach out to him, recognizing there's nowhere else to go but to him, a God like our God, a loving God who who isn't disinterested, 
Not the God who doesn't know the widow, but the God who knows you. He knows every hair on your head. Not the God who doesn't care about the widow, but the God who loves you so much, he has, while you weren't even looking for him, forgiven you and adopted you as his own child, as a part of his family. How much more will he bring you justice and do it speedily? Amen? Wow. What Jesus is saying in the picture that he's painting is, you better come desperate, you better be persistent, and listen, as you do that, you're pursuing a God who loves you so much that, please, you can count on him. You can know that he will answer your prayer, that he will be there for you, that this God will bring you justice, and he'll do it quickly. Isn't that good news? And we serve a great God. Here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Will the Son of Man find us trusting him when he comes? Or will he find us busy securing our lives in this world? When God comes back, will he find us trusting him? Or will he find us Busy securing our lives in this world? I think we need to ask ourselves that question. If you are heavy of heart this morning, if you find yourself in a place where you've come to an end of yourself and you're desperate, take heart. Reach out to Him. Throw yourselves at the altar of this judge. Come to the bench in the courtroom and just cry out day and night. And you're crying out to a God and a judge who loves you and adopts you and knows you and will come to you and bring you justice. Amen? If you are not at the end of yourself and you are persisting in the pursuit of securing your life in this world, folks, we have to wake up. We have to recognize our place. We have to realize we are as of a widow with no support unless we cry out to him day and night, pursue him day and night, pray to him day and night, and recognize that he will come through because he's a faithful God. Amen? That's what this passage is saying. Will the Son of Man find us trusting him or busy securing our lives in this world? There's an essence here that that plays into Matthew 24 where it's the man who, a woman who would endure to the end that will be saved. There's an enduring aspect of this. And i got to tell you, here's what this passage challenges for us. And I want you to think about this for a moment. For me, growing up in the church, this passage flies right in the face of the dude who waved his hand on a Sunday morning at an altar call and has never been back since. You guys hear what I'm saying? We've grown up with the idea of the hand wave in our faith 
the intellectual ascent to, yes, I don't want to go to hell, I need Jesus. But there's an aspect of life change that happens in the heart of the elect, the one that God has adopted and chosen, the one who's responded in faith as it's come from a gift from God to Jesus. And there's an aspect and an evidence of someone who's following Jesus that pursues him, that's persistent, that endures, and that continues to pray and look to him. Amen? That's what he's calling us to. Here's a a better question. Where else are we going to go? Right? Where are you going to go? What are you going to turn to? As you pursue, as I pursue and put my hope and my trust in career, careers can end. As we pursue and put our hope and trust in relationships, relationships have trouble. People in the midst of sin, we let each other down. We hurt each other. As we pursue and we put our hope and our trust in, in finances, finance can collapse. As we, put, as we pursue and put our hope and trust of the things of this world, a crazy man with a large truck can blow through a crowd of people and end that in an instant. But as we pursue and we persist and we put our trust in the living God who is a God who loves us and is faithful and has chosen us and knows us and and has called us and saved us, there is nothing that can shake it. There's nothing that can change it. There's nothing that can take it away. Regardless of what you're going through emotionally or subjectively or in reality as things come at you, you have the solid, secure foundation of a God who loves you, supports you, hold you up and as you pursue him and persist will save us amen it's the word of god to us this morning why don't i cry out to him day and night as the passage says it's the question i have to ask myself how do how can we endure to the end well, I think there's a couple of things we can look at from this passage. How do we endure to the end? First of all, Jesus says, don't be like Lot's wife. It's a love of the world. It's a love of the things of this world that an idolatry gets placed in, in the place where Jesus belongs in our lives. Amen? We pursue and we're persistent about things sometimes that can't save, that can't hold us up. The love of this world, the things of ordinary life can distract us. How many of you parents have persistent kids? Anybody? Dad, 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 dad. Hey, dad, hey, dad. Can I, dad, can I, dad, dad, dad. Please, please, please. Uh, anybody been there? My, my goodness. I, sometimes... <clears throat> I am the unjust judge, right? Yes, just leave me alone. (laughs) Persistence. Can I please, can I please, can I please? What are we counting on? What are we pursuing? What are we persistent about? Sometimes I think what needs to happen, please hear this, we need to come into a place of of prayer, and that's what I'm going to get to right now as I close to adjust our perspective about what we need and who we're going to. So how do we avoid the love of this world? How do we avoid being like Lot's wife? 
How do we resist the relentless temptation of Sodom? The, the desensitized, uh, the things that desensitize us to God's kingdom by the ordinary pressures of daily life. How do we resist this? How do we avoid this love of the world? John Piper says it this way, the good things in life can make us just as insensitive to the reality of God as the gross things of life can. How do we resist this? Piper goes on to say this, the battle most don't know is going on is this, the battle to maintain a radical, heartfelt, self-denying faith in Christ, not only in the threat of persecution and sinful temptations, but also in the threat of ordinary home life, in business life, which can blunt all our sensitivity to God's eternal kingdom. Isn't that true? How do we get to this place where we maintain a heartfelt radical, self-denying faith in Christ. Jesus gives us the answer. I can't believe I've never seen it. (laughs) As I read this passage, the answer is there. What is the answer in this passage? To take heart, to maintain a radical, self-denying, faith-filled life that pursues Jesus. The answer is so simple. Pray, 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 pray. I got to confess, I've been the type of Christian, particularly through my 20s and 30s, and now as I hit the 40s, I I, I see God changing this in my heart. But I've been that type of Christian that, that thinks somehow, although I would never say it intellectually, in the back of my heart, in the back of my mind, the idea that, oh, prayer is just a waste of time I want to do. How many of you guys have ever been there? Prayer is just this thing that's kind of strange, and I just sit and talk to God, and I just, I don't have time. You know, there was an old book that Bill Hybels wrote, and, and I love it because the, the title of it is so true in the, in the scope of Scripture. Too busy not to pray. We're really too busy not to pray. Listen, if you want to be the one where faith is found when he comes again, there, there is uh, to, to have this, this self-denying, heartfelt passion and pursuit of Christ, we need to fuel our faith with the coal that, that fuels the fire of prayer. Amen? We need to pray, we need to pray, we need to pray. we got to pursue God in prayer. A lot of our prayer for us is, is a perspective-shifting thing that happens in our heart and minds. Amen? Prayer is not manipulating God to do something he doesn't want to do. Prayer is getting us on his page. Prayer is getting us to look towards and understand and our heart to be changed and bent towards his will as opposed to the things of this ordinary world. Amen? Prayer is the thing that brings us into the sanctuary of God where our perspective shifts and we go, oh my goodness, this is real reality, not the one that I perceive. Does everybody hear what I'm saying this morning? My daughter and I this week were in the car. We were talking about heaven. And she said, what, what do you think heaven's going to be like? And as I looked to the scripture and as we began to talk about it, there's an awesomeness to it that every time you see this depicted in scripture, a human being is falling on their face, right? And I began to think about that in the context of this 
perspective-shifting thing that happens in prayer. I began to think about it in the need that I have for me to recognize my, my place as this widow that is in desperate need of God's support. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? There's a psalm of Asaph after David fell with Bathsheba, 73. And I love this psalm because he's angry. And he says, look at the wicked. They got it so easy. He says, I'm envious of the wicked. This is his perspective as he begins the psalm. It seems as if everything in life goes easy for them, that they get whatever they want. He says in the psalm, he asks this question, have I kept myself in vain? Have I followed God and kept myself pure and pursued this righteous path? Have I done it in vain? And you see the perspective of Asaph in his frustration and in his, in his view that look at the wicked, I envy them, and look at me. Everything seems to come so easy for them, but for me, my life is difficult. I've pursued God. I've withheld things from myself, and I've, and I've gone after righteousness. Have I done it all in vain? Because they seem to have it better off than I do. And I love verse 17 in that chapter. He says, until I came into the sanctuary, and then I saw their end. Here is God's call to Renovation Church this morning. Folks, we need to spend some time in the sanctuary. We need to spend some time praying together. We need to spend some time worshiping together. We need to spend some time alone in our prayer closet or wherever you go pursuing God. We need to spend some time together consistently, persistently in the presence of God so that he can shape our perspective. So us like Asaph can then realize, oh my goodness, it's as if they walk on slippery rocks. Every step they take could be their last. Thank you, God, for upholding me and supporting me. Does everybody hear what the word of God is saying to us this morning? God's call to renovation church. I was talking to Mike yesterday. It's been on his heart for the last couple weeks, and it's been on my heart for the last couple weeks. Oh, wow, sorry. It's a really inexpensive monitor system. Just kidding. (laughs) Sorry about that. It's been on his heart for the last couple weeks. It's been on mine. I think God's speaking to us. He's calling us to prayer. Folks, we got to begin to pray. If your perspective this morning is that everything's falling apart, we need to get in the sanctuary and let God change our perspective. If your perspective today is maybe envy of the wicked, and it seems as though you're serving God in vain, you need to get into the sanctuary of God and let him change your perspective. If your perspective is that everything's going good, life is great, we got plenty of money, plenty of vacation, plenty of time, you need to get into the sanctuary of God and let him change your perspective. If your perspective is that you're losing heart and you feel like you have nowhere to turn and it seems as if everything's falling apart, you need to get into the sanctuary of God and let God change your perspective. Folks, we need to pray. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our friends. We need to pray for our families. We need to pray for our kids. We need to pray for our spouses. We need to pray for our schools. We need to pray for our government. We gotta pray for our police officers we got to pray for our inner city communities. We need to pray, we need to pray, we need to pray. We need to pursue God. We need our faith to be fueled by the presence of God in our lives. 
Your prayer and your time in the sanctuary is more important than your kid's game. Your prayer and your time in the sanctuary is more important than whatever you got going on in your community events. Your prayer and your time in his sanctuary is more important than sleeping in. Your prayer and your time in the sanctuary is more important than our jobs. It's more important than our daily events. It's more important than any other thing we have going on. Folks, we need to wake up and stop pursuing the stupid things that take up all our time. And we need to pray and be together and get into God's word and sanctuary. Amen? Amen. We are getting sucked in to daily life in such a way we, I am, Listen, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. And God needs to seep into our hearts somehow and wake us up to the fact that only he can save us. Only he can hold us up. And he is the kind of judge that will do it. So much more than this unrighteous judge he depicts in this parable. And know this this morning. If you feel alone, if you feel afar off, he knows you. He loves you. You are not petitioning to a judge who couldn't give a rip about you. You're petitioning to a judge who knows you so well, he knows every single hair on your head. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. He knows every struggle, every hurt, every aspect of your life that's devastated and disappointed you. He knows where your father messed up. He knows when your mom messed up. He knows when you messed up. He knows everything. And guess what? He calls you his child. He's chosen you and he loves you. If my sons or my daughter were to cry out to me in desperate need of justice, I would move heaven and earth to help them as a dad. How much more? How much more does he do it? How much more would he? What are we relying on today? What are we trusting in this morning? Ask yourself that. And maybe measure it by what you do every day. Measure what you're relying on by what it is you're actually pursuing every day, Monday through Friday. I think there's a couple things that need to happen in this room this morning. Some folks need to turn to Jesus and throw their lives on the bench of his altar. Some other folks, me included, we need to repent. And we need to throw our lives at his altar. And we need to consciously, actively, and intentionally begin to pursue and to pray. Amen? We do that as a church. Can we make an intentional, conscious effort? Hey, you're not always going to feel like it. Do it anyway. Do it till you do. I believe that we're going to continue this challenge as an eldership team as a leadership team, that we're going to provide opportunities for us to pray. We're going to get some prayer times corporately together. 
And if you need to talk to someone about a plan or how you can pursue God intimately on your own, our heart and our call is to help you grow in your intimacy with God individually and personally. I mean, I know some of us say, I just know how to pray. I don't know how. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. And let's pursue Jesus together. Amen? Pray with me now. God, we come to you this morning recognizing that you are the one to come to. Help us do that. Help us not be distracted by the things of this world in ordinary life. Help us not in sometimes our desperation to look the things that can't help. Regardless of the state of our hearts this morning, help us, God, to come to you. Help us to persistently pursue you in prayer as a church and as individuals. And again, this morning, we recognize tonight, or this morning, that you are a good God, a loving God, a God who in Romans 8 has pursued us and saved us and redeemed us and called us your children. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Thank you for being that God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.